The views and opinions expressed during Eye on the Triangle do not represent WKNC or the student media. Your dial is currently tuned to Eye on the Triangle at WKNC 88.1. Thanks for listening. Good afternoon, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle, a student-run, student-scripted, and student-produced news show on 88.1 WKNC HD1 Raleigh. I'm Aaron Kling. Tonight, we have a special set for everyone, a show devoted to November's Lung Cancer Awareness Month. Our guest, Jennifer Hall, the Executive Director of the American Lung Association, joins us once again to discuss the importance of lung health, how one can detect and defeat lung cancer, and how the Lung Association is presenting information to the public. Next, I'll be covering the American Lung Association's State of Lung Cancer Report. America has made big gains in reducing the toll of this preventable disease, but we still have a lot to cover. Afterwards, we have Nadia Ramlagan with four stories from the North Carolina News Service, keeping everyone aware of the comings and goings of North Carolina. We're a pretty busy state. Take a deep breath of the air of your choice, everyone, and settle in. It's a fresh new lungful of Eye in the Triangle, coming your way. I'm Aaron Kling with WKNC 88.1 Eye in the Triangle, and I'm currently speaking with Jennifer Hall, the Executive Director at the American Lung Association. Hello, Ms. Hall. Hey, how are you, Aaron? Welcome to Eye in the Triangle, and I'm doing very well. Glad to hear it. Now, we're here talking about Lung Cancer Awareness Month. As it is November, and that is the month of the year where we discuss lung cancer awareness. <laughs> that is true. It is um, a time of year where we get to raise awareness about lung cancer through local activities and national campaigns. It's also a time to highlight um, those survivors of lung cancer because it is um, such a deadly disease that we want to honor those people who are living with it and tell their story during this month of November. And with how dangerous these can be, it sometimes can get pretty bleak, but some people do pull through. They survive. Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the earlier that lung cancer is caught, obviously, um, the better the survival rate. And people just need to know that if they are in that high-risk category, that there is a low-dose CT scan that they can take that will determine whether they have lung cancer or not. And obviously, if it's caught earlier there are more treatment options than if they wait for the symptoms to appear. Let's go over the umbrella topic of what is Lung Cancer Awareness Month? Okay, so Lung Cancer Awareness Month, it is an opportunity to promote um, the stories of lung cancer survivors while also educating the public about the importance of screening and early detection. So unlike a lot of other um, diseases, with lung cancer, there's a shocking lack of knowledge among both the patients and the physicians about effective risk reductions and treatment options. Yes, so our aim is to educate the public so that they in turn can have that conversation with their doctor. So how does the social media campaign target individuals who are at risk? How do you reach them? 
our national office is running this campaign. This is actually the second year in a row that we are doing the Save by the Scan campaign because it had such tremendous results the first year. We know that three-quarters of the people who took that eligibility quiz actually qualified for the low-dose CT scan. So we know that those people who previously were unaware of the scan itself now know that they qualify for it and hopefully are going to their doctors to talk about it. So this program that we're doing is a nationwide program. As I mentioned, it's the first of its kind, and it's an awareness campaign that you'll see on billboards throughout the city. There's television and radio spots. There are bus wraps that you'll see driving around town, but all directing that at-risk population to the savebythescan.org website to take that eligibility quiz. And most people are unaware that this is even an option for them. Whereas many people, you know, they know that they have to go for their annual mammography or they have to go for their um, prostate exams and, and colonoscopies, but nobody is really aware that there's a CT scan out there that can help them detect lung cancer. Is lung cancer not as well known as other types of cancer? Well, you know, I think what it is is that lung cancer, it's not that it's not as well known. I think because there's a less survival rate, there are fewer survivors to share that story. I see. So with other cancers, you know, the survival rate can be pretty high, so they get to be champions of the cause and tell their story. But up until recently, the survival rate has been fairly bleak for lung cancer, and the stories have been kind of shocking and sad. And now, you know, we're really turning a corner where with new treatment options and stuff, the the survival rate is increasing. And um, there are people that are living beyond the five-year survival rate that can tell that story. Now, there's not a high rate of survival, but that's not the case for every stage of the cancer, of course, right? Discussing lung cancer is such an important issue because catching it early is important. Right. And we know that if we catch it early, we could increase that survival rate from about 15%. We could increase that up to about 55% if it's detected early in stage one. That's quite the leap. Yes, it certainly is. And that's why early detection really can save lives. Now, what is the American Lung Association doing to educate people about lung cancer and early detection? Now, American Lung Association launched an initiative called Lung Force, and that is a program to increase awareness about lung cancer and raise critical funds for lung cancer research. So since its inception in 2014, our organization has increased its investment in lung cancer research over 200% to over $15.5 million. So we are really committed to defeating lung cancer. We also recently launched a program called Saved by the Scan. And this campaign is the first of its kind in the nation where we are targeting high-risk populations through advertising and social media to make them aware that if they do qualify and if they are in this high-risk category, that they may qualify for the low-dose CT scan. And that it's detected early, they will have a lot more treatment options, and then, of course, that survival rate will increase. What exactly is your system for targeting different groups? Who's at risk? The highest risk population are obviously smokers, long-term smokers, and those people that would qualify for that scan are people who are either current smokers or former smokers, people who are 55 to 80 years old, and people who have what's called a 30-pack year. And a 30-pack year is smoking a pack of cigarettes per day for 30 years or two packs a day for 15 years and so on and so forth. But, you know, a significant smoking history. 
Yes, and if they meet those three criteria, um, they qualify for that scan. So those, that's your most at-risk population. Of course, you know, people who have uh, environmental issues, like from workplace environment or um, just general pollutants might be at risk too, but they would not qualify for that low-dose CT scan. Secondhand smoke is also an issue, of course. Does secondhand smoke factor into the high-risk individuals and populations check, or is that kind of ancillary to people who smoke directly? Yeah, it does not qualify as um, the primary target for that low-dose CT scan. Mm-hmm. So that would be considered more of an environmental factor. Um, but it's it's a risk factor nonetheless, you know, just like heredity is and other environmental factors. So it's important that even if you may not qualify for that low-dose CT scan, if you're having some of symptoms of lung cancer that you raise those issues to your doctor and let them know your family history of smoking or your family is history with lung cancer um, so that your physician is aware and then might take the, the proper tests necessary. And what are the symptoms of lung cancer? So, you know, oddly enough, the symptoms are so generic that a lot of people just mistake them for a common cough, a, mm-hmm. a backache. Um, you know, it's interesting, like if you get a backache, you would never think that you have lung cancer, but that might be one of the symptoms. Um, hip pain, which I never knew either. was, And so there are things that you wouldn't associate with lung cancer. A cough, you might just attribute it to allergies, you know, and a hip pain, you might, that you just work too hard at the gym. So these are things that individually, they're not lung cancer, but when you have some of these symptoms collectively, then that's kind of time to delve into that a little bit more and see if, if that might be the case. I don't know if I can speak for my listeners, but I never realized that back or hip pain could actually be associated with cancer of the lung. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's really interesting that way because um, most people are not. So then when some of those symptoms, when there, there is that detection and it's at the later stage, stage four, and then you start putting it together and of course hindsight's twenty twenty, and you're like, oh, well, I did have hip pain and I did have this cough for months and so on. But um, that's why it's a really hard cancer to detect because some of the symptoms are just part of life and everyday things that we go through that typically of non-issues. Yes, so the best medicine here really is prevention first, and if that isn't possible, then detection. Correct, correct. So, yeah, prevention, you know, obviously smoking is the number one cause of lung cancer, but what people need to know is that lung cancer doesn't discriminate. So if you have lungs, you can get lung cancer. Mm -hmm. And in fact, um, you know, 20% of people who get lung cancer are never smokers. So it's really an important thing to realize that yeah, simply because you didn't smoke does not mean that you're free and clear of your risk. This remaining 20% of non-smokers, could it be genetic and environmental factors for them? Yes, absolutely. And radon is, um, you know, it's a, it's a gas that comes from the ground and it doesn't have an odor, but that would be the second largest cause of lung cancer. Radon is a radioactive gas, correct? Yes. And it can be detected in your house? Yes, you can have radon tests come. There there are companies that actually do radon tests. And and I think different geographic areas are more prone to having um, high radon levels. It's not like, you know, every community has high doses of radon, but certain communities might be more um, apt to have that than others. And you wouldn't really get any other warning about radon being in your house besides what we're describing here. Right. And and I, you know, honestly, I think that when you purchase a home, I think they do a radon test as just standard operating procedure. Nice for that to be a part of the package deal. Yes, yes. I can't confirm that, but I do believe that that is part of the process.
reducing uh, the risks of lung cancer to any individual, that would be mostly eliminating smoking would be a big one. Anything else you can think of? Yeah, like I said, if, if you do feel like your um, community and your town has a high dose of radon, then yes, having that done and, and eliminating that factor. Of course, heredity plays a big role in that and in environmental factors. So, you know, you just need to be aware of what those environmental factors are. You know, work factors like asbestos, lead, arsenic, um, all those toxins are cancer-causing toxins. A lot of people know arsenic from crime novels, but it is important to realize that a certain time period, arsenic was heavily used to create the color green in a lot of dyes and paints and, uh, and wallpapers. So if you have a particularly old property, it can pay to get it tested for arsenic uh, in various materials. Lead also, there is a huge push for a cheap lead-based paint during renovations of houses. You can find that a lot in a chalky white-colored paint. Yes, that's exactly right. And and I, uh, my understanding is that like the lead-based paint that might be on some of these old homes um, is not harmful in and of itself. But once you start doing the renovation and taking that down, and it gets in the air, and that's when it becomes toxic. Yes. So when you're actually demoing it, that's when it can slip into your lungs. Exactly. Oh, man. What makes for healthy lungs? I know we've been talking a lot about what can damage your lungs, but how do we go in the opposite direction? Well, the best way to keep your lungs healthy is to never smoke. That's the single easiest way to prevent lung cancer. Um, other ways of keeping your lungs healthy, obviously exercise and diet are extremely important there. Um, reducing your exposure to some of the environmental factors, being aware of the, the community in which you live. Um, a lot of communities, you know, some are more, um, have more particles in them that are damaging than others and um, different air pollutants that might be more damaging. So, you know, that, that's an important factor. Some of that's within your control and some of it's not, but um, just being aware of that is very important. Would diet and exercise improve your lung health? Would that lower your risk of cancer or have any other benefits? I think diet and exercise is great for every cancer. You know, <laughs> honestly, I mean, we talk about those healthy greens that are antioxidants. We talk about exercise and how that could ward off um, cancers and other diseases. So it's just logical to assume that that's going to help with lung cancer as well as your general well-being. A recent study came out that, uh, that really caught my eye, and that study was researchers believe that any amount of running can just lower your risk of death. And I loved how they worded that because they weren't even giving a number at that point. Just run. Just get out there and work your body out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, you know, just there's simple changes in your life that you can do that will have such extreme benefits on your overall well-being, not just for preventing disease, but just your, your mental outlook and your, your general state of mind. Exactly, yes. Uh, I actually struggle sometimes with negative thoughts and feelings, but I find that when I get active, when I get out of my chair, and I do sit a lot, I know a lot of us do these days, it really did a lot of wonders to improve my mental health. Yeah, it does. It does. I, I find the same thing. You know, just getting out in the fresh air to me is very therapeutic. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, assuming you do actually have the worst case and you get that report back that there has been some kind of carcinoma found in your lungs, what are the treatment options if it's detected early? So if detected early, sometimes it's just a simple surgery and they can remove the tumor and um, maybe a little bit of radiation there and 
you can go on with no evidence of disease for the rest of your life. And that's why it's so important to get detected at the early stages of lung cancer. But now we have other um, devices, like I mentioned, that CT scan is the, the first way of detecting lung cancer. And then if it's caught early, we can go ahead and do some surgery with a little bit of radiation, and then hopefully there will be no evidence of disease in the future. There's also targeted therapy, which is um, one of the more recent type of treatment options, and that is using very specific to the mutation of cancer that you have, and it is treating it by targeting the specific gene or the proteins um, in that tissue environment that contributes to the cancer growth and its survival. Yeah, it really is. It's, It's really transformed cancer treatment is this very targeted therapy and then it, it works on a specific mutation so it, it's fascinating and um and and people have had had responded really well to it because it's no longer just blasting the cancer but it's it's targeting your specific mutation this is tailor-made yes it is it is specifically to the variety of cancer within the person mm-hmm. yeah immunotherapy absolutely phenomenal puts a smile on my face where can people go to get more information about lung cancer? Well, there are a lot of resources for people who are um, dealing with lung cancer. Um, I would suggest going to our website, which is lung.org. And on that site, you can find a ton of information about um, treatment options, symptoms, references and referrals, as well as support groups and other information that would be really important, especially in those early days of detection where there's so much confusion and lack of knowledge. It's a great place to start. There's also a place there for caretakers and people who are helping those living with lung cancer. So it's a, it's a really all-encompassing site that can really provide some answers, at least initially, and, and get people working towards what their next steps are in their plan. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the Triangle, Miss Hall. Thank you for having me, Aaron. I appreciate it. So that was Jennifer Hall, the Executive Director of the American Lung Association, and I'm Aaron Kling. With WKNC 88.1, I on the Triangle, and I'm signing off. I'm Aaron Kling, WKNC 88.1, I on the Triangle, and we are continuing this week's coverage on November's Lung Cancer Awareness Month. Hello, everyone. Let's talk about the human lung, a topic that is personally near and dear to me, specifically because it's located inside my chest cavity. We don't think about our lungs too often unless we're down with a cold or dying from a run, but they're a pretty stalwart organ. The average human being will take 23,040 breaths a day. That's 8,409,600 a year for you math nerds. Lungs form the core part of a larger system, the respiratory system to be precise. And the thing about systems is that we never really notice them until they break down. I could do the old joke about breathing manually, The very real situation is that our lungs are critical to our existence. Someone dies of lung cancer every three and a half minutes. Over a 1,440-minute day, that represents 440 deaths. Current projections for 2020 state that 228,000 individuals will be diagnosed with lung cancer. The cancer will be primarily caused by smoking, environmental exposure to radon, and genetic factors. There's not much anyone can do about how their genes are ordered. But those first two issues are solvable through awareness and personal choice. You've all heard the anti-smoking campaigns, I'm sure, but it really can be a killer. Keep yourselves healthy out there. Lung cancer remains the leading cause of death among all cancer populations, but survival is up among sufferers. 
Five-year period survival rates are up for 2019 by 26% when compared to data collected 10 years ago. Early detection through cancer screenings, new targeted therapies, and public awareness campaigns are having a real effect on the lives of people. After all, it's important to remember that each percentage is more than a number. It's an indicator of lives saved. How exactly were these lives saved? Early-stage surgery enabled through CT scans. Getting a CT isn't uncomfortable or difficult. Typically, a patient lies down in a bed and then moves through a ring-like scanning machine, which may or may not require a tracking solution delivered by intravenous fluid. An estimated 48,000 individuals could be saved through cancer screening efforts alone. Early cancer detection allows surgical removal of tumors before the cancer even has time to spread throughout the body. There are still options after that point, such as chemotherapy or the new immunotherapy, but effectiveness is greatest the sooner the tumor is detected and removed. 15.4% of patients opt to refuse treatment for their condition due to lack of access or a sense of fatalism. Cancer is a condition that never goes away on its own. It's part of the body effectively rebelling and sustaining itself. The condition has rightly earned a sort of fatalistic outlook among the population, but despair won't bring health. If you were diagnosed, you owe it to yourself and to your loved ones to seek treatment. Of course, it wouldn't be fair to address refusal of treatment without mentioning coverage costs. Medicaid coverage of cancer screening is unfortunately not a universal guarantee. In the United States of America, 12 states were reported to lack any kind of screening coverage for lung cancer. For some individuals, the barriers to treatment aren't personal, but financial and administrative. So here's the summary. Things are getting better for lung cancer, but they aren't close to being solved. New lung cancer diagnosis is down, but the condition is still the greatest killer, among cancer at least. Survival rates are up, but the chances are still lower than any other form of cancer. So what can we do as individuals? Don't smoke. Keep your lungs healthy through a safe environment and exercise. And screen yourself if you are at risk. What is at risk? Well, at risk means a family history, a lifestyle amongst heavy smokers, or a house with existing toxins, such as asbestos, lead, or radon. Be informed of the signs of lung cancer, which range from severe and persistent coughing, back, shoulder, and hip pain, continuous fatigue, and a loss of appetite. Keep yourself and your family safe, people. I guarantee you're worth it. All information discussed was sourced from the 2019 American Lung Cancer Association State of Lung Cancer Report. To find out more, head over to www.lung.org. I'm Aaron Kling with WKNC Eye on the Triangle, and I'm signing off. A garden planted in front of the governor's mansion uses certain plants to make pedestrians aware of odorless and invisible ozone pollution. Pamela Grundy is a volunteer with the nonprofit organization Clean Air Carolina and helped spearhead the garden. She says breathing ozone irritates the lungs. Yet unlike smog or other types of air pollution, most people are unaware of its presence. An ozone garden is a garden that helps people understand the effects of ozone by looking at the damage that ozone does over the course of an ozone season to plant. You can 
visualize what that problem is. Ozone is especially dangerous to vulnerable populations, such as children, the elderly, and people with existing respiratory problems. According to a report by the American Lung Association, Charlotte and Concord are two North Carolina cities that have seen an increase in ozone pollution over the past few years. Grundy points out that while all plants, including agricultural crops, are susceptible to ozone, special plants called bioindicators allow us to see clear patterns of ozone damage. Those include cutleaf coneflower. We like to use those in our ozone gardens because they're big and they're pretty and they show the damage very well. But also things like pawpaws, spice bushes, milkweed. There are a lot of plants that will show this distinctive kind of damage. She says she hopes the ozone garden will spur people into thinking about how air quality affects both human health and the environment. Having it at the executive mansion and particularly in the place where it is, which is outside the gates where people walk by all the time. So it's nice to have that in such a prominent place. Co-sponsored by Clean Air Carolina, Audubon, North Carolina, and the Butterfly Highway, the garden also features native plants, providing food and resting spots for birds and pollen. A 2001 federal rule banning tree harvesting and road construction in national forests is under threat. Developers and the U.S. Forest Service are seeking permission to open Tongass National Forest, more than 16 million acres of old-growth forests in Alaska, to development. Former Forest Service Chief Mike Dombeck says managing national forests requires a careful balancing of several industries' interests, not allowing one to lobby for changes that solely benefit them. And uh, what we have here is we have a small segment of that interest in uh, largely the timber industry in Alaska, which really wants access to more old-growth timber. Experts say that if Congress votes to terminate the 2001 roadless rule, national forest land in other states, including 172,000 acres in North Carolina, may be left vulnerable to development. The Forest Service will take up the issue of making changes to the roadless rule in a series of public hearings this week. Lexi Hackett and her husband own a family fishing operation in southeast Alaska. They catch and sell wild Alaskan salmon. She says the region's sparse urban development has allowed fisheries to thrive. There are economic drivers to keeping the forest healthy and protected, and I would say the primary is fishing, but also tourism. Tourism would definitely be diminished if there was a lot of unattractive projects put in. Hackett adds that lawmakers should consider the long-term impact of depleting trees more than 300 years old and the ecosystems that depend on them. There's no good reason to roll back the roadless rule at this point. It's very confusing that this is even on the chopping block. People just say development, 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 more jobs, and people think it's that simple, but it's not. Supporters of the exemption say the roadless rule has stunted logging industry job creation and economic growth. Support for this reporting was provided by the Pew Charitable Trusts. The ACLU and other civil rights groups have filed a class action lawsuit on behalf of three people being held in the Alamance County Detention Center. The lawsuit contends that court officials' use of cash bail violates the constitutional rights of those who can't afford to pay for their release. Ann Webb, ACLU of North Carolina attorney, says Alamance has one of the highest rates of issuing secured bonds in misdemeanor cases, meaning the person has to put up the entire bond amount before they can be released. Our staff and community partners 
lawyers have spent the last year sitting in courtrooms and observing bail practices across North Carolina. We were very disturbed by what we saw in many counties, but Alamance County was particularly alarming because of the high number of people held before their day in court, as well as the poor conditions in the jail. According to county-level data from the University of North Carolina School of Government, last year just over 75 percent of misdemeanor cases in Alamance County required secured bonds. That's one of the highest rates in the state, second only to Franklin County's rate of 87.6 percent. One problem, according to Webb, is that when setting bail, local magistrates don't consider a person's ability to pay. What we've seen in the cases of our clients is that bail is set exclusively on information about the charges that have been brought, potentially a criminal record, and very little other information. Webb points out that because being unable to afford bail can lead to job loss, individuals are more likely to plead guilty, even when innocent, just so they can go home. And it has created two criminal justice systems, one for the rich and one for the rest of us. People who cannot afford their bail are locked up while their cases go through the courts, which can take weeks or months or even longer. According to the lawsuit, about 78 percent of the 350 people currently locked up in the Alamance County Detention Center have not been convicted and are awaiting trial. Labor organizers say several North Carolina farms are blocking them from being able to speak and provide information to migrant workers. Justin Flores is vice president of the Farm Labor Organizing Committee, a union representing agricultural workers in the state. He says most of North Carolina's agriculture depends on a workforce recruited from elsewhere and adds employers have an unusual amount of power they can wield to prevent workers from accessing information. We had some folks out there who were just talking to workers as they left work just standing on the, you know, like on the public part of the street and uh, workers would drive out in their car and uh, roll their window down and give them a flyer, talk to them a little bit and they go on their way. He says the employing farm called the police and accused the organizers of trespassing. While accurate numbers are difficult to come by, the State Department of Commerce estimates there are upwards of 80,000 migrant farm workers in North Carolina, most working on tobacco and produce farms in the eastern part of the state. Flores points to middlemen known as farm labor contractors who fly south to recruit workers from rural communities, mainly in Mexico. He says the contractors then monitor those workers day in and day out. They are able to control the process about when they have their appointment in the U.S. consulate in Mexico for their visa. Then they're providing the transportation from Mexico into North Carolina, providing the housing, providing transportation to and from work and to and from the store. While farm labor contractors have been around for decades, Flores says they are increasingly becoming a major player in the state's farm industry. These labor contractors went from being minuscule presence uh, five years ago to now there's probably two or 3,000 workers working for them uh, in the state. Flores says his organization regularly fields calls from farm workers around the state who have questions about their rights or who are requesting assistance. For North Carolina News Service, I'm Nadia Ramlagan. That's all for Eye on the Triangle tonight, everyone. Thanks for dropping in to take a listen. And thank you to our live audience who has tuned in to hear our sets. It means a lot to us all here, and we're always happy to hear from you as well. That's right. If you have any burning questions or powerful opinions, hit us up at publicaffairs at wknc.org. We are also accepting applicants if you'd like to become a part of the Eye on the Triangle team. Live in the Triangle area? Want your story on Eye of the Triangle? Shoot us that email. Tonight's episode, Eye on the Triangle, can be enjoyed in a podcast format through Transistor and through WKNC's Twitter feed. 
Our song for tonight was Safe Sacks by Texas Radio Fish. Copyright 2019, licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, Non-Commercial 3.0 License. Stay tuned for usual program of amazing indie music, and we'll see you all again next time. Take care now.